0: Okay, well, uh, just a couple things real quick before we uh, get started. Uh, I, uh, Jim, I think I already mentioned that we had a uh, great time yesterday. I actually see people here from the event we had yesterday, and that's, uh, that's real good. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody. Uh, I'm Anton, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, along with Jim. And... Um, but I've got uh, a couple people down here that I told them I was going to uh, mention them because they're, they're special to me. Uh, I've got uh, two uh, military colonels down here, and uh, Colonel Buxton and Colonel Head. And uh, I'm involved in a Bible study with them uh, in a government building on a military base. And that always excites me. Um, I remember when I first met Colonel Buxton, he uh, he said, you're... I said, Anton. He said, I heard about you. And I went, oh, man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it turned out it was all good. And, you know, it resulted in us uh, involved in a Bible study together. And, uh, I mean, that that's great. I would that Bible studies occur... As a result of you guys, everywhere that you are, that God would use you to go ahead and get something started. And, uh, and I'm going to touch upon something in the uh, message uh, a little later. And uh, just to give you a, uh, an example, an insight as to where that could go. If you have Jesus, how Jesus could take that little effort of yours and turn it into 2,000 years from now, someone coming to know the Lord, because you share with somebody today. Okay, I'm going to pray and uh, go ahead and get started. Lord, thank you for this uh, time, for this opportunity to uh, come before a group of people, of people that you have brought together here at Redeemer Church today because you wanted them here. You wanted them to hear uh, the message today, Lord. I pray that we would hear it, that we would hear your voice, that we would listen to your voice uh, in a way that brings you honor and glory. Pray that we would be who you call us to be, that we would do what you call us to do, and thereby uh, glorify you. Pray that the lost would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of the work that you're doing in us and through us uh, here at Redeemer. And I pray that the church at large, uh, believers who are not here at Redeemer, when we encounter them, they'll know that we here at Redeemer Church have been with you And they'll be able to look at us and see through us and see you and find themselves being drawn to you, the non-believers and Christians being built up as a result of that interaction. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Last week, I began a two-part message and just gave a little introduction last week. Kind of hit some... Basics of our commission to make disciples. I looked at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I just want to highlight a couple things that I went over. I did something on what I call the alls of the Great Commission. And the first one is in verse 18. And if you have a Bible, can you turn to it? Because I, I really want you guys to look at the passages and read with me. As I go through it. Uh, I, I, I've got quite a bit that I'm actually going to read. Uh, I spent some time last night cutting things out. Uh, because I, I finally told myself I can't just read the whole book of Acts. You know, I'm not going to have time. But Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Matthew... 28 verses 18 through 20. And in verse 18, we have all authority, falls in this commission. All authority. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. One of the things I pointed out last week was. I you know all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. Uh, and I do things based on that authority even when other authorities in this world tell me I can't because I believe his authority overrides theirs. I'm willing to accept the consequences of that. is called willful disobedience, but Jesus' authority overrides any other authority, all authority in heaven and earth. And when we have Jesus, when we've made a commitment of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and he's come into our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, when he indwells us, uh, he's given us that seal of His Holy Spirit, identifying us as His. When we have Jesus, we have a direct link to all that authority and all that power. And you know, just thinking about that, you know, just my, my mind can't wrap itself around that. I have a direct, a direct link to the second person of the Godhead. In verse 19, we have all nations. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's called us to go into all nations with this message. Some of those nations say, no, nah, you can't bring that stuff here. <laughs> what do we do? I mean, I know people right now in places in the world that I can't even talk about. I know they're there. I get an occasional, me- occasional message from them about how the work is going because I support them. But they can't talk about where they are and what they're doing. Because they aren't supposed to be there. And I've been there. I've done that. Uh, I talked last week about Louis Goldberg and traveling throughout Israel with him. At that point, he had started 17 churches in Israel. And I spent nine weeks with him, traveling all over the country, doing what Israel said I couldn't do, proselytizing. So, all nations... And one thing I want to point out in this message today, I'm talking about ordinary people. You know, we could easily look at these guys and say, okay, well, Paul, Peter, James, John, I mean, these guys, they were extraordinary people. No, 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 no. These were guys, (laughs) you know, who, they were fishermen. They were whatever they did. Who reached a point where they believed, really believed that Jesus was the Christ. Transformed their lives. All authority, all nations, all things commanded. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, we mess that up a lot of times, but you know, we aren't just to teach them, we're to teach them to observe it, to put it into practice. So what you actually have is a combination of teaching and training going on. You're teaching them, you're training them to put what you're teaching them into practice. And I'm going to touch upon that a little bit uh, later. I talked a little bit about Dawson Trotman last week. I talked a little bit about a guy named uh, Les Spencer. And just a quick note about that, because that's a powerful story to me. Dawson Trotman was, I'm going to use a word, I don't know if it's a good word, obsessed with discipleship, disciple evangelism, he was always winning people to the Lord and then working with praying with them so that they could learn how to pray, studying the scriptures with them so they could learn how to study. Thousands of hours he spent with these guys. He had this one guy, Les Spencer, who went back to his ship. He was in the Navy, went back to his ship. A little later came back and he said, hey, can you teach this guy? He had shared his faith with this guy. The guy responded positively. So he brought him back to Dawes and said, Hey, can you teach him what you've been teaching me? And Dawes looked at him and he said, You teach him. Dawes wouldn't do it. You teach him. I mean, he just activated the 2 Timothy 2.2 2 principle. And Les went back and taught him. They started meeting together, just the two of them, a little Bible study on the ship. And before long, there were others coming in. Within no time at all, there were 125 people meeting with those guys. Because they refused to be spectators. They weren't coming to listen to music and Listen to someone speak and say, great message, pastor, and leave. They were putting what they were learning into practice. And then always, that's the fourth all. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I talked a little bit about... uh, his name being Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where well, he says, I'll be with you always. Well, what does that mean? He, uh, what he's saying here is that every time, on every occasion, without exception, he'll be with us. Every time we need him. And I even said, even when we don't need him. But there is no time when we don't need him. But he'll be with us every time, on every occasion, without exception. He says that uh, he'll be with us all the time, without interruption. No interruption in. He's with you right now. You have Jesus with you right now. Always with you. He says he will be with you forever. And I kind of... contrasted that with uh, the guy who poured his life into my life, Gene Burrell. And he's struggling with some health issues right now. And uh, the doctors are saying that, you know, your, your body is tired of fighting this stuff. And he may not be with us long, still with us now, may not be with us long. And for the first time... In the last month or so, I realized I'm not going to have him as my pace setter out in front of me, always. There's going to be a time when I'm not going to... Actually, I could go before him. But uh, I'm not going to have him out in front of me as my pace setter, my discipler, always. But Jesus, the second person of the... of the Godhead says He'll never leave you. He'll be with you always if you have Jesus. Okay, so a lot of stuff was there. Uh, But that was an introduction to where we're going today. 2 Timothy 2.2, if you turn to that, we begin to look at our course of action for making disciples. Last week it was our um, Commission to Make Disciples. This week is our course of action for making disciples. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 And that reads, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I'm just going to say at this point, because really this is the end of the story, the end of the message today. There are four generations in that verse right there. I read, uh, well, I read in, of all places, a Greek grammar, that I was uh, looking at over the past few weeks. And I read this statement here. It says, In many ways, the book of Acts is a detailed account of how these apostles accomplish the command of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And it is. Boy, you, you start going through the book of Acts, and you see these guys putting into practice what they were commanded to observe. Doing it. They weren't playing with this stuff. They were doing it. A lot of them got killed doing it. Uh -uh. (laughs) Just thinking about Paul one time. got stoned. They thought they had killed him. Maybe they did. Maybe God brought him back to life. I don't know. But they stoned him, left him laying on the road, and he gets up and goes back into town. You know, what do you do? Kill me again? Um, Just ordinary guys. And, And I want you to catch that. Don't just hear me saying it and learn it intellectually, and academically, I want you to catch it. These guys, Paul, Peter, all the apostles, this guy Barnabas I'm going to be looking at, uh, they were ordinary guys, just like me and you. Just like us. Nothing extraordinary about them. Before they caught what Jesus was saying to them, they didn't want to do it. Peter wanted to go back fishing. Just ordinary guys. Okay, but then Acts, and I'm going to start going through this, and there's a little bit of reading, but follow me, and, and, and really listen to this. Excellent uh, uh, picture of the outworking of the Great Commission. Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to look at verses 1 through 15. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 15. And I normally have a, well there's a clock right up there, so I like to have a little digital clock on the podium here, and I don't have that today. But Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 15, Now I'm reading out of the ESV. And it talks about seven guys being chosen to serve in the church. And it reads, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose, those were Greek-speaking Jews, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, those who spoke Hebrew, Because of their widows, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So all these people were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The church was growing. Some of these people didn't have all the provisions that they needed. And so the church started uh, making provisions for uh, these people. And the Greek-speaking Jews felt that they weren't getting what the Hebrew-speaking Jews were getting. So a complaint arose. And and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Remember that name. Chose Stephen. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now you even got Jewish priests coming to know the Lord because of this. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews, the synagogue of the Freedmen, as it's called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You know, they, they, they couldn't They couldn't combat that. They couldn't argue against that. The guy was, it was a spiritual battle. They couldn't deal with that. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders of the, and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses, false witnesses, who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In chapter 7, it goes on, and I, I I, I wanted to read this whole thing. I mean, this is excellent. I mean, read this stuff. Chapter 7 says, verse 1, And the high priest said, Are are, are these things so? I mean, are, are, are you doing what they're telling me you're doing? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran and said to him go out from your land and from the kindred and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you and then he goes on to give these Jewish leaders a history lesson from Abraham all the way up to Jesus of what the nation of Israel was really like. Killing prophets. Not listening to what they were saying. And he goes on, he says, in verse 51, he says, <laughs> and, and, and I love this, because he ends up, after he gives them this history lesson, he ends up this way. Verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He just accused them, of, you know, you guys killed Jesus. And this is who your prophets were talking about all along. You're the leaders of Israel, the spiritual men, and you don't even know this stuff. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. They've been hearing this stuff. they would probably been teaching it. But they weren't doing it hadn't changed their hearts they were stiff-necked people they were hard-hearted people we're going to see in the next few verses they killed Stephen because he said this now when they heard these things they were enraged and they and, and they ground their teeth at him <laughs> What is that all about? They ground their teeth at him. They were enraged. (laughs) Um, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Okay, now I'm going to read a little bit more as we go through this, but uh, last night I spent a great deal of time eliminating the most of the book of Acts. Because I was really thinking, I need to just get up and read this whole book. <laughs> but I, I I, would not do that. But I'm going to ask you to read it. Maybe we could study it one day. And that's when we'll really get what, what it's saying. When we look at this and wrestle with it. And question, are we doing this or not? In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, we have uh, Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. And I'm just going to read, it looks like verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution, the guy that they were laying their garments at his feet. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, I want to point that out. The church was scattered because of this persecution, except the apostles. And the reason why I brought that out is because in that Greek grammar, I had indicated that it said, "In many ways, the book of Acts is a detailed account of how these apostles accomplished the command of Matthew 28:19 through20. Well, okay, yeah, the apostles were a part of it, but these were these ordinary guys. The apostles were ordinary guys. Ordinary guys. Uh, but these were the church, the disciples, those believers who really believed that Jesus was the Christ, who refused to be spectators. And when they were scattered because of this persecution, we're going to take a look at what they ended up doing. Um... Disciples make disciples, not apostles, not pastors. You know, uh, Jim and I have the same obligation that you guys have. The same commission. Make disciples in all the nations. We have the the same link to Jesus the Christ who has all authority, all power, We have the same link to him that you have, if you have Jesus. Same responsibility to carry out this commission, to obey it, to do it. And if you hear nothing else today, do this. Do it. Don't just be spectators. Disciples make disciples. In, in many ways, and I rewrote that quote, in many ways the book of Acts is a detailed account of how these believers accomplish the command of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Just ordinary guys. Just, I, I, I can't say that enough. I mean, they, if they were in our time, they would be guys that we would be working with on our jobs. They would be in the military. They would, you know, they would be us who believed that Jesus was the Christ and it transformed their lives. Later in verse 26 of chapter 8, we see Philip. uh, Well, Philip, I mean, he turned Samaria upside down. Later, we see him in verse 26 with, uh, in all these passages I cut out, I just will mention them. We see him with an Ethiopian eunuch. And tradition has it that when what he did with that eunuch, Spread throughout Ethiopia. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, we have the conversion of Saul. I wanted to read this, but couldn't. I, a bright light shone from heaven, caused him to fall on the ground he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, when I read it, he was persecuting the church, threatening to arrest Christians for being Christians, threatening to murder them. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. If you have Jesus, you have a direct link to him. This guy, Ananias, God said, hey, I got this guy, Paul, Saul. I just knocked him off his horse, told him to stop persecuting me. I want you to go share the gospel. Ananias said, I've heard about this guy. (laughs) I ain't doing it. He really didn't say, I ain't doing it, but he didn't want to. And uh, God had to say, you know, hey, it's, you know, now he's hearing me now, so go share with him. He shared with him. Paul gave his life, Saul, gave his life to the Lord, and his life immediately began to transform. The hunter was no longer the hunter. And he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues in Damascus that ticked off the Jews there. And so they decided, you know, we need to kill him. So the hunter becomes the hunted. And the Christians in Damascus had to get him out of town. He went to Jerusalem, and I'm just going to read this, verse 26 of uh, chapter 9, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas Barnabas, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So, so Barnabas came alongside Saul and said, I, you know, I think he's, I think he's okay. You know, I think you, we, we got to transform true believer here. And Barnabas, you know, had his back. So remember those two names, Paul and Barnabas, because they become the main factors in what we're going to look at. In chapter 11, we have the church at Antioch. Remember, they were scattered. These believers were sharing Christ with all the people in the areas where they've been scattered to. People were coming to know Jesus, and these little churches were popping up. So in Antioch, you had a church pop up. Verse 19 reads, Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. Now, in this case, the Hellenists were Greeks. you know, Gentiles, non-Jews who spoke Greek. They began to uh, uh, preach Jesus to them as well. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, they sent Barnabas, the, the leaders, the apostles said, "Hey, hey, Barney, go, go check this out. What's happening in Antioch. There was a reason why they did that. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And, of faith. and a great many people were added to the church. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, he went to Antioch. He said, hmm, he went to Tarsus where Saul ended up going because, I mean, people just weren't embracing him. They couldn't believe that this guy killing Christians was now one of us. And so he went back home to Tarsus. He was there for, I guess, several years. I didn't check out how many years he was there. But Barnabas remembered him and he said, you know, I'm going to go get this guy, because I see potential there. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and looked for Saul. And when he had found him, and when he had found, yeah, had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So now we get into the process. What's this discipleship? We're going to look at the process here. I wanted to give you that history, bring you up to this point, uh, to so that you'll know, how, you know what caused these Christians to end up in all the places where they ended up and how these churches got started. But what you have is a picture of disciples making disciples. The first step in the process is the discipler does it. Disciples who make disciples are first and foremost disciples themselves. You can't teach and train someone Something that you're not proficient in. I can't teach you how to pray if I don't know how to pray. I can't teach you how to study the Bible if I don't know how to do it. These guys became proficient in doing this. And they began to teach and to train others. In verse 22, Barnabas alone was sent to Antioch. He was knowledgeable, he was experienced, and he was competent to disciple other believers. That's why they sent him. Nothing will happen in your disciple's life unless it is first happening in yours. If you're going to be a disciple who makes disciples, and and that's what I want here at Redeemer, I don't want a church full of spectators. Uh, we'll, we'll never get this big because Jim and I agree that there'll be other churches started before we become 2,000, 3,000 people here in Dahlgren. But I don't want a church of 3,000 peoples, just spectators, coming because they enjoy singing the songs and good message pastor and no change in their lives. Disciples making disciples. If we had a church of 2,000 people, huge numbers, people would look at that and say, man, that's a great church there. Not if they're not doing what God called them to do. If we're producing anything other than disciples, we're producing the wrong product. believe that some of you that I'm looking at right now will be in places at some point that you can't talk about because you're doing what God told you to do in places where they say you can't do that. I think God has a plan for us that we don't realize yet. But we will. So, the discipler does it. These guys who went out had become proficient in making disciples. They had become proficient in studying the word, proficient in praying, proficient in witnessing, proficient in, I mean, you know, they were, they were serious about, about what God had told them to observe. Jesus said, do it. And they said, yes, sir. And they did it. Go talk to Saul. Okay. I don't want to, but okay. Ananias led one of the greatest Christians in Christian history to the Lord. He didn't even want to mess with the guy. Led him to the Lord, and Paul turned the world right side up. The Bible says upside down, but I believe it means right side up. It was already upside down. So, the first step in this process is the disciples already doing it. He's already a disciple himself. He's already discipling others. You know, I just looked at the clock. I was thinking it was probably quarter after. I'm going to push on this. The second step is the discipler does it and the disciple is with him. This is where the teaching begins. In verse 25, we see Barnabas going to Tarsus to look for Saul. Once he found him, he brought him to Antioch to be with him. As a mature, as you mature, as you mature as a disciple and become skillful in ministry, your disciple needs, your disciple can learn from you simply by observing you. Simply by being with you. That's why Barnabas said, Saul, come with me. If you want your disciple to learn to pray, study God's word, learn to fellowship with other believers, witness to non-believers, etc., 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 you will need to have him with you when you pray, when you study God's word, when you fellowship with other believers, when you witness to non-believers, etc., etc., so that he can observe you doing it. He's going to catch this thing more so than be toward it. So the second step is, first step, the disciple is already doing it. Second step is, he does it with you with him. With the disciple with him. So that the disciple can observe him and learn how to do this stuff. The third step is the discipler does it, and the discipler is with him. The roles change. In chapter 13, you see Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Then all of a sudden in verse 9, you see Paul and Barnabas. Paul's name changes, Saul's name changes to Paul. He begins to use his Greek name. And he becomes the leader in this group. It's From that point on, it's Paul and Barnabas. What happened was, Barnabas stepped back because Paul was becoming so proficient in doing this, he needed a platform to do it on. Barnabas stepped back, observed him, and let him do the leadership role. Once your disciple has observed you leading in prayer, he needs to be challenged to lead in prayer. Once your disciple has observed you leading a Bible study, he needs to be challenged to lead the study. Once your disciple has observed you witnessing to non-believers, he needs to be challenged to witness to non-believers. Uh, I told you guys about when I first came to know the Lord, a group of six guys I was meeting with in a Bible study. They would say, Hey, we're going out this weekend over to Boston College to just share the gospel with the students over there. Why don't you come and go? I started going with them. After several weeks they looked at me and said, why don't you share your testimony? There was. I've been seeing these guys do it. Hearing what they were saying about what you needed to do to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I observed them, and they said, hey, why don't you do it? And I started doing it. That's how it all began. No spectators. I wasn't along for the ride. They were making disciples. Okay. The fourth step is this, and I'm going to bring it on down. The discipler does it, and the discipler is in the background. What happened here, and I won't go into all the details of it, don't have time, but in Acts chapter 15, and you could read this Paul and Barnabas separate. They're no longer a team. Barnabas takes a guy named John, also called Mark, with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and goes through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches that they've already started. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra and met a disciple there named Timothy. That brings us back to where we started, what I said was the end of the message. Paul met this guy in Lystra, whose name was Timothy, already a disciple. This is who he was writing to, who's now pastoring a church that Paul set up and left him there as one of the elders. And he writes him and he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. But that's not the end of the story. Paul tells Timothy, what you've heard from me, He wanted him to entrust the faithful men, that's that third generation, who will be able to teach others also. That's that fourth generation. But this has continued all the way down to us, right here. It may not have been this line, but Jesus came on the earth, called Men to be his disciples, out of that group, they began to share the gospel. They began to teach, and they began to train, and lives were transformed. And that's what keeps it going. When you believe what you believe, you're not going to stop doing it. That message has come all the way 2,000 years down to us. Someone shared the gospel with you. Someone shared the gospel with me. And I responded. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 2,000 years. It would be a shame if it stopped right there. Now, I hesitated about using that word shame. I said, that's a strong word. So I looked it up to get a synonym, And I saw stuff like sinful, you know, I said, well, okay, let's use shame. Or sinful, or, you know. It would be a shame and a sin for it to stop with us. Nobody else comes to know the Lord in that line. 2,000 years from now, there needs to be a church starting up because you shared the gospel with someone. They taught people. They trained them. Their lives were transformed. And this came 2,000 years down to us. I'll close with this. Gus Tucker, guy I met years ago. I was in a little church in Chicago. And they had an altar call after the service. Gus raised his hand. They said, come on down. He went down to the front of the church. The pastor came down and uh, (laughs) the pastor said, what's your name? And he gave him his name, Gus Tucker. He said, uh, you know, what do you do? He said, well, I go to, I think it was Northeastern, Northwestern, whatever it was. And uh, he said, I played football for the school. He says, oh, you play football. He said, well, now we're going to get you playing football for the Lord. And then the organ went dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Everybody started jumping around. And... <laughs> now, I kind of smile at that. You know, But don't take offense at that. I mean, there are churches all over this country that do that. Are they believers? Yeah, I think some of them are. But I made it a point to go up to this guy at the end of the service. I said, hey, can we talk? I shared the gospel with him. He came to know the Lord. I plugged him in with some navigators that I knew in Chicago. He spent a year with me after that in a study i came back to dc and i got a call from him one day he said i want i want you to know that i put in an application for Dallas Theological Seminary. I just heard back and they accepted me. He said, I'm going into a pastoral major to be a pastor. He said, I want you to know that you will get credit for all the people that come to know the Lord through me. What you've got in that picture is Gene Burrell, who poured his life into me five o'clock in the morning just to pray with me, to study God's word with me every morning. He shared with me. I shared with Gus. Gus has a whole church in Chicago now where he's leading people to the Lord. I'm going to meet people in heaven I haven't even seen yet. Don't let it stop with you. Lord, uh, I guess I didn't cut enough out. Kind of went over a little bit. But I pray that You've said what you want to say. I pray that we've heard you say it. And Lord, I just pray that we here at Redeemer Church will become a church of disciples making disciples. Just ordinary people who have committed their lives to you and are doing what you called us to do, and being what you called us to be. I commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.